The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 257 for Wednesday, April 28th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab here from Durham, New Hampshire. I am Dave Hamilton. On the other end of the Skype line, our good friend. John F. Ron here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And you know, Dave, it, it, it seems like we just did this. We like, did. Like days ago. Yeah, but we didn't answer any questions, so we had to come back and, you know, dig through the mailbag. It had been over a week since we, uh, since we touched the mm-hmm. mailbag, so, you know, it was, it was time. I, th- I think it was time. Uh, I agree. And that was a fun show. Was, it was. Uh, yeah. If you didn't have a, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to 256 yet, you can. You can also go watch it uh, right now on our, uh, our Ustream channel, I guess, so... Uh, was a, I had a blast. That was it was a yeah I mean, barrel, had, barrels of fun. Uh, yeah, the barrel of monkeys even. <laughs> well, was, we didn't provide the monkeys, but but we had people in the chat room. So that's that was right. about that. And no, we're not calling our listeners monkeys. <laughs> no, not all of them. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> but no, it was fun in the chat room here. Yeah, you know we could have used a moderator. We probably could have used uh, Pete to uh, moderate, but he's he's off in the air somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of hard to follow video and chat room and just all the stuff going on. But anyways, it was great. It it was it was so much fun to share our uh, our roots with people. And frighteningly enough, a lot of people actually knew what we were talking about and actually chimed in with, uh, you know, even more dated technology than you and I had used. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, So, you know, it has been over a week. And the reason it's been over a week is, uh, of course, I was away last week. We went, uh, we took the kids down to Washington D.C. and and just had a grand old time. But you know, as with any travel experience, there's all at least a travel experience for me. There's always you know a couple of things technologically that uh, that creep that creep into uh, into into the experience of the of the week. And last week, of course, was no exception. Yeah. Well, you were old school this time because, Dave, I, I think you usually um, I mean, when I come visit you, I mean, I've, I've driven and I've taken the train, but I, I think right. you typically like to fly. But you. Uh, so this is something new for you. I think you were kind of retro here and that you uh, you did the uh, the Amtrak. Yeah. When traveling locally, uh, you know, and when I say locally, I mean, you know, eastern seaboard. Uh, I, I, I've taken the train. I took the train to Trenton, New Jersey uh, last year when I did the, the Princeton Mac users group uh, chat. And, you know, I, I'll do the train every now and then going back to back and forth to New York. But uh, but a lot of times the schedule isn't doesn't work out so well. But this time the schedule worked out great. The four of us took the train. It was, a you know, less than half the price of flying. And uh, and, you know, it 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 added a little bit of time to the journey for sure. Uh, But, you know, not not terrible because you don't have to get to the train station as early as you would for a flight. And the train station is uh, in D.C. right in the middle of town. So you're pretty much right at your hotel when you get there. Or at least we were. So, uh, yeah. And you got some amenities like the one thing I love about Amtrak is that you have a 120 volt because there's. So you have a 120 volt. So you can plug your computer and hopefully you guys got. Of course, you get that on most most airlines now. So, right. I've still seen some that still require a stupid proprietary adapter. Right. Uh, Right. Maybe in the class that you fly in, you get a 120 that you don't need a. That's right. Yeah. Not not for WWDC, though, which was also announced uh, today. But uh, flights were it was too late to book flights uh, for WWDC that had any. uh, I like to use mileage and, you know, fly up front, but. That wasn't the option this time. So, but anyway, yeah. uh, so on the train ride down, uh, you know, the, uh, my daughter brought her Hackintosh, her, her little Dell laptop. 
I brought mm-hmm. both the iPad and my MacBook Pro. It was my first trip since I got the iPad, and I figured, well, I'd, I'd better take the MacBook Pro as well. Uh, but I also brought the MiFi, and uh, and that turned out to be a fantastic thing, especially on the train, but also all week in the hotel room. We didn't buy internet access from the uh, from the hotel for you know whatever they wanted, nineteen bucks a day or whatever it turns out to be. Uh, we just used the MiFi, and it was great. Now here's here's what I did on the MiFi on the way down. Uh, you know, I, we loaded up our computers and our our iPods and iPads and iPhones with. Uh, TV shows or movies or whatever to, to watch, you know, on the way down. And I realized about halfway through the trip, I thought, you know, we've got enough here to, to make this trip down fine. But the seven and a half hour train ride back, you know, we're going to be out of stuff. So uh, and, and we were playing some games to him. We were watching TV the whole way. But I knew coming back, we were going to be pretty tired. It was a late in the day thing. It was going to be after a week of, you know, running ourselves ragged around D.C. So, I thought, you know, I, I, we better get some more stuff. So. From the train on the uh, now this was on the laptop, but I could I guess I could have done it from the iPad, but it was on my MacBook Pro uh, connected to the MiFi moving on the train. Uh, I VPN in, of course, into our home network here. And I've got the just the simple little uh, PPTP VPN set up through the DDWRT firmware. If there's enough acronyms, acronyms wow. there. Yep. Uh, so I VPN in. I woke up the iMac in the house. And I use the iTivo software to uh, you can pull stuff off the TiVo. And as you're pulling it off, you can uh, convert it to, you know, whatever format you want it to be in. So knowing that I was going to want to watch some of this stuff on laptop screens and and the iPad as well as the iPhone, I had it convert everything to the iTivo setting for Apple TV, which is, you know, like 900 pixel wide resolution and stereo sound. So that's going to be enough. It'll give us decent quality. And it did. Uh, I, I'll, I'll stand up right now on the soapbox and say I am a hypocrite. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to experiment with the, uh, the, the new feature that they put in ITVO that uh, automatically skips commercials. It uses this open source thing called ComSkip. And let me tell you, it works brilliantly. Uh, you, you're watching a show and it enters a commercial and then bam, you're right back to the show. It, it, it just completely omits it. I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to experiment and see if it actually worked. Two, uh, I wanted to keep the files that we were going to have to then download from from the house here uh, as small as possible. And then uh, number three, uh, navigating, scrubbing fast forward in reverse on uh, on the iPad or the iPhone is is terrible. It's not like the TiVo where it's smart about it. And when you get to a spot, it rewinds a little bit to catch up for you. Mm-hmm. It, it's a terrible thing. So, so yes, I'm a hypocrite and I use the commercial skip thing. I'll just state that right up front. Uh, so I, what I had it do was I, I queued up all these shows in ITVO and I said, go ahead and convert. And I told it to save them to a folder on my Dropbox on that machine. And then when we got to the hotel, I plugged in the laptop, connected it to the MiFi, of course, wirelessly. And instantly all the stuff starts streaming down over the uh, over the airwaves. And uh, and we had our shows and, uh, you know, it, it took several hours to convert and then several hours to download each one. But, you know, we, and so because it worked so well, I wound up doing it throughout the week and just queuing things up, uh, even shows that were on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday kind of thing. Hmm. And, uh, and then we queued it up. I synced them all. I used the laptop to sync them down to the iPad because, of course, there would have been no way to download these directly to the iPad and keep them there uh, which is a shame but uh but it worked great and uh and made for a pleasant ride home i actually downloaded a, a movie for the kids and uh and mm-hmm. a couple of tv shows for lisa and i and you know it helped no 
And I'll give you a little something or just that may help both you and others. Now, I believe that you're with Comcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you may have seen this news, but I'm going to break it to you if you haven't heard about it. They recently did a cross vendor Wi-Fi deployment here. Okay. You may have heard about this. So, so, um, basically I saw this announcement, uh, um, one of my Twitter folks, I can't remember who it was, told me about this, and then I saw the the press release. But basically, the three or three of the cable companies, at least in my area, they also offer Wi-Fi. Mm. I think as as a as a goodie, like like mine. If I have Optimum Online, which I do, they offer Optimum Wi-Fi. And okay. you can actually key your device to it so you don't have to type in username or password. It just goes by the MAC address. Oh, cool. They just did a cross-vendor thing where now the hotspots for Time Warner, mm. Optimum Online, and I believe it's Comcast, which has a, a different name if it comes up in your list, they basically cross-authorize all of them. Oh. So wherever one exists, the other two will also offer access. Okay. Which basically means is that wherever I am, if I see optimal Wi-Fi come up, I also see Time Warner Wi-Fi come up, and then uh, it, it's some silly misspelling. Okay. <clears throat> but anyways, so the nice thing is that for people that I think, uh, so Optimum is, is pretty much the Northeast. Uh, Comcast, uh, I think, is pretty much everywhere, and I think Time Warner as well. I, I'm not sure the geography of them. Uh, uh, again, Optimum is pretty much, I think, the, the, the Northeast, like now, Connecticut and New York City. Now, I believe, I'm, I'm reading about this as you're telling us about it, John, okay. but I believe uh, the announcement was just just earlier this month, and it's only in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Oh, okay. So it's limited to this area. Yeah. But still. Yeah. So, so if you're, uh, but, but yeah, so if, if you're getting close to me, Dave, Right. And uh, you should be able, I mean, if you're a Comcast uh, subscriber, you should be able to, to leech onto this. So just thought I mentioned yeah. it because it's nice. And I think they're basically positioning themselves. So if you're happy with them, you're not going to go with another vendor of connectivity. Right. Smart. That's good. That's good. So anyway, so, the you know, the, the whole thing worked. The MiFi was the linchpin to it, um, A, because over hotel Wi-Fi, we all know that uh, that there's no way I would have been able to download, you know, gigabytes. And gig- I mean, I probably downloaded, you know, close to, I don't know, five or six gigs throughout the week. If you ever tried that on most hotel Wi-Fi, you know that it's an exercise in futility. So the MiFi really worked out well, and uh, I was getting good speeds there from it. And uh, and iTivo worked and. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a great, a great little, little thing. And I didn't, I didn't sweat it at all. I just, every night, you know, before I went to bed, I'd log in and, and see what shows we wanted. I'd queue them up. And then, like I said, it, I had, a, I pointed the download directory straight to the Dropbox. So it was just boom. And, and, uh, and nice. good to go. now did so, you bring along, I'm just going to plug one thing that should appear by the end of this week, but I just completed my uh, detailed or in-depth review as we call them at Back yeah. Observer of the Y fire. And I don't know if you brought that with you. No, no reason to, cause I was using the MiFi. Uh, okay. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't, in, in most hotel rooms, I'm not using their Wi-Fi anymore anyway. I'm just using the MiFi. So the Wi-Fi has kind of become a, a, a thing of the past okay. for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's something, especially with the latest version, which is their third generation that I like. And, and so, you know, I basically just completed a review of that. My review is, is for the most part, very positive Cool. in that if you have a Wi-Fi antenna and you want to get Wi-Fi and you're somewhere, this thing will help. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. I I, I agree. I've I never had a bad experience with it. It's just not part of my uh, my routine, okay. at, at least at the moment. It. But we'll see if I you know wind up moving past the MiFi to something else. Then that'll all right. Probably so it. what else did you see, Dave? Well, uh, you know, I want to I want to mention one gadget that I used uh, in the room all week. So we had four of us staying in one hotel room, which worked out fine. 
we had one lap, two laptops, uh, one iPad, three iPhones, a couple of iPods, and uh, my daughter's cell phone, which is a Razor. And so, we, of course, we had to charge all of these things on a semi-regular basis, maybe not every day, but, you know, certainly regularly. And other than the laptops, I was able to plug everything into one device to charge, and that was the call pod. I don't know if you've ever seen this thing, John, but it's, it, it's, got, it's like a disc uh, that has a little cord that, you know, you plug into a power outlet. And then all around the disc are uh, little ports, and you, you get... Uh, you buy from CallPod and you get a bunch of them free with the with the pod when you when you get it. But you buy little adapters. So all these ports have a custom uh, um, socket on them. And so then you get a dock connector to CallPod connector, you know, a uh, USB to CallPod connector, a, a, you know, all these different things matching to your specific devices and you just plug all these things in and then it charges them. No problem. Uh, I was able to charge the iPad with it, which as, as iPad owners Ooh, know, really? requires, that's right. It requires that a 10 volt circuit. Yep. Uh, now it was interesting. I could do an iPad and one iPhone, but not an iPad and two iPhones. Uh, and presumably that's just because of the amount of juice that they were drawing. You know, the, the, the call pod only gets so much from its uh, DC transformer, but it was so cool mm-hmm. and saved so much space. I mean, it was one plug into the wall. We put this little spider thing in the middle of the desk and it just had all the, you know, all the little adapters okay. shooting off of it. And we just plug in when you, you know, you get back and you just plug in. Boom. Good to go. It was awesome. So awesome. I'm so glad okay. I grabbed it and put it in my, uh, in my travel. So this is trip. the, uni- with the adapters, this is the universal charge center that's it everybody used that's right outstanding that's right yeah yeah uh, okay. So. And the one other thing you saw, well, well one thing I'm, I'm going to comment on, on the tweets that you were making on your trip, because I follow yes. you, Dave, whether yes. you like it or not. Um, <laughs> and I think you pretty much admitted that, well, that's what Twitter is all about. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think you pretty much admitted that at this point in time, the uh, and, and it's good that you brought your MacBook, but it sounds like at this point in time, the iPad, uh, iPad does not fully meet your needs for uh, a travel device. You know, if it were was, was your statement, but because of one thing. Uh, Okay, so yeah, you're 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 taunting me here to head down this path, and I'm going to head down it. So there were two things this week where I could not use the iPad. For the most part, I did just if any time I needed to use it, which is light usage on vacation, right? To be fair, uh, there were two things where I needed to do uh, use the computer. One was to uh, download all these shows that, funnily enough, I wanted to put onto the iPad, right? So. I was unable to do that directly with the iPad, which is stupid. Uh, presumably that'll be fixed someday. The other thing that I don't think will be fixed, but I really I, I am I am now a firm believer that the iPad should support Adobe Flash. And and I know <sighs> this is a religious argument. Uh, it, it, it'd be easier if I just came on the show here, I think, and said, listen, guys, the Mac sucks. I'm switching to Windows. OK, I think it might mm-hmm. that might come across a little bit better. But uh, but the reality is, you know, when I'm on vacation and the iPad's a perfect vacation machine, if it weren't for these two things, I'd be totally fine. Uh, but, you know, you're on vacation. You don't know where you're going to go out to eat at night. Right. This is something we went through every night. And so we get back to the hotel in the afternoon and we, you know, kind of look at the list of what the, you know, the hotel had kind of a list of restaurants. But you could also go to, you know, Urban Spoon or any of these websites, Yelp, and and find restaurants. But, you know, family friendly, decent food, yada, yada. It's not easy to find all that stuff. But we'd find, you know, three or four. And then I'd go to visit the restaurant's websites. 
And as soon as I would go to their website, nine times out of 10, the website needed flash. And it wasn't just it needed flash for some kooky animation or something that I didn't care about. It needed flash in order for me to see the menu, in order for me to get information, all of this stuff. And the reality is, yes, flash sucks. Yes, it makes our computers crash. Yes, it eats up CPU time. And yes, it would be a terrible experience on a mobile device. However, more terrible than Having flash enabled on the mobile device is having flash not enabled on the mobile device because it was totally mm -hmm. useless to me uh, to get any of that information. I had to put the iPad away, open up the laptop and go down that path, uh, you know, and, and just to, just to look at a restaurant's menu. That's all I want. Right. You know, but for that stuff and, and I had people arguing with me on Twitter. Well, the designers shouldn't. Yeah, I know the designers shouldn't do this, but the reality is they've been doing it for years. And yes, maybe they will change. But in the interim, the iPad is a crippled device because of it, as is the iPhone. But I never experienced it the same way with the iPhone mm -hmm. because I don't expect the iPhone to replace my laptop when I'm traveling. Whereas with the iPad, it's a bigger screen, more interactive, more immersive. I do expect that. And it and it doesn't work. And oh. here's the reality. I'm going to let you Go. get a word in edgewise, but I'm going to get mine in first. Here's Go the ahead. reality. I know Apple has come out and said, oh, it's not important. Flash isn't important. HTML5 is the future. Blah, 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 BS. If they truly believe that, they would not ship OS X with the Flash plugin pre-installed. That's all I'm going to say. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Now, now for your word. In okay. Well, well, the word edgewise and that I saw, uh, I, I think, one of the, the more vocal individuals, uh, our friend John, uh, John, Welch. John Welch. Yep. And I would concur with him. Um, I'm an engineer, not a designer. But to me, uh, but as you pointed out, Dave, that the, the problem is too many people have gone down this path and, there, and there's no way to pull them back. To me, in my humble opinion, it is poor design to assume capabilities of the client. But here's the thing. For the last five, at least, probably 10 years, maybe, but certainly sure. the last five years, sure. it is safe to assume that someone browsing the web has Flash. But, you know, I tried this and you may have seen my tweet doing this. And actually, it was a, it was a you want to talk retro, Dave. Um, I brought up Fink Commander and just for kicks, I decided to compile links. Do you it, remember links, Dave? I do. But it's that's not a that's not a reasonable man test. Right. You know, the, the average person who download who buys a Windows machine for 500 bucks and sets it up doesn't even know that links exist. Uh, so, you know, using that as the benchmark for a website, I, I reject I reject the presumption. Well, I reject you rejecting my presumption. <laughs> no, to me, now, in a perfect world, you would have infinite resources in order to code for infinite possibilities. And one is, oh, look, the person uh, for people that don't know links is still made. Links is a text only browser. Right. Now, a lot of sites I went to with it, they totally crashed. Now, I, I got to say, for the most part, when I went to TMO, the text part came out OK. Of course, yeah. I didn't see the flash ads or whatever graphical ads because sure. there are no graphics. But a lot of sites um, actually. The, so I'm with you, Dave. The thing is, uh, you can't accommodate everybody like weenies like me that want to compile links to text only browser and right. expect to get any useful information. Right. Amazingly, though, a lot of sites seem to have some people who actually tested against this and said, you know what, we'll throw you this bone at least. But um, it was a fun adventure for me because it, and it's something we'll link to, but but it's called Think Commander. It's a very nice package manager that lets you under OS 10 compile these open source things and, and run them. And actually, I was shocked that it worked. I, I shouldn't be, but 
anyways. Yep. And did you have uh, you had one more tidbit? Yeah, we'll I, save I, the I, tidbit for the end. Let's get into uh, let's get into some questions. Oh, yeah, here. yeah, yeah. We'll save it. So there's my that's my uh, vacation thoughts there. Uh, let's let's jump right in with Jeff and uh, and I'll read Jeff's question here, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff says. How does one keep their bookmarks available online, no matter what computer you might be using? It used to be that DotMac or MobileMe kept your Safari bookmarks available, but that's no longer the case. I'm constantly finding myself in a place where I have no cell phone access, but with good wired Internet access on someone else's computer and not being able to remember the site I found in bookmark just recently. Have you any ideas as to how to seamlessly make my bookmarks available from other computers? Can I put my Safari bookmarks file into my Dropbox folder? And is there a way to automate this? Okay. Number one. Yes. I'm... I'm kind of missing. Uh, I I believe there was mention of MobileMe or Dot Mac mm-hmm. and bookmark syncing. Yeah, Last it's a shame checked, that went away. Well, what do you mean it went away? Well, you can't. Okay, so you can sync from computer to computer, no problem. But you Correct. used to be able to have access to your bookmarks if you went to Mac.com. I see what you're yes. Okay, because I look at my MobileMe, uh, you know, system preference, and under sync is bookmarks. Okay, so Works that's specific yep. to Safari. Yes, it syncs your Safari bookmarks to your other computers and also to your iPhone and iPad if they're synced to your mobile okay. account. That still works, just to be clear. Yeah, but it's it's the whole okay. issue of you can't see them if you visit Mac.com or me.com. Yeah, and I've noticed that too. Now, yeah. what? Oh, Dave, I'm, I'm. What other way could there be for you to to take your bookmarks and share them among computers? Well, you know, and I know Jeff, the answer, but yeah. I'm asking you. Yeah, well, Jeff, Jeff gives us uh, at least a, he he opens the door, right, and he says, you know, is there a way to do it with Dropbox? And and of course, as we found, there is. But the Safari bookmark bookmarks file. If you're using Firefox, you could actually store your bookmarks file right in the. Uh, in the Dropbox folder and just link to it and everything should work fine. However, um, or actually put a link to your Dropbox folder in your, mm-hmm. into your, to your, put a link to your Firefox bookmarks in your Dropbox folder. However, Safari stores its bookmarks, not as an HTML file, but as a P list file. And because of that, you have to export them. Safari will let you export them, right? Um, file export bookmarks and you can save them as far as Apple scripting it. I I'm pretty sure that part of Safari is scriptable. It certainly would be with user interface scripting. So you could do it that okay. way. Yeah. And that file, and I looked at that file, Dave. So what it does, yeah, normally exports, and, and we discussed it is available. Um, you don't need the developer or debug menu. And it exports it to something where here's another throwback to the past, because I looked at the guts of the file. When you export the bookmarks, it exports it normally to a file called safaribookmarks.html, which is just a regular HTML file. Any browser can open this. It may not be the best way to get to your bookmarks, but it basically opens a page that shows all your bookmarks and it has the headings and the categories and stuff. But one thing I noticed, Dave, was was kind of interesting is at the very top of the document, it has a uh, uh, less than sign exclamation point doc type Netscape dash bookmark dash file dash one closing it. That's a that's an XML description, right? So that an interpreter knows what to do to, uh, to read that file. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so programs, and I think this is looking because, of course, Netscape is pretty much, you know, goodbye. So this is basically a standard that I think Netscape came up with and, and uh, Apple adheres to, and I'm sure others. So if you export 
to this file, most other browsers, I, I, I would assume Firefox and others, if they see this file, will say, oh, I know what this is. This is a, uh, you know, this is a bookmark file from somebody, and I'm going to import that and then, you know, offer it in the native format. So, but, um, but the good news is that you can export it. You could store that. Uh, again, the, the access is a little hokey if you double click on this and it brings it up as a web page, but... Bit. The answer is yes. You you can you know store this file on Dropbox or MobileMe or whatever, and open that with, with a you know kind of a crude interface, but it still is an interface to your bookmarks. That's right. That's right. So so that that would be the way to do it. I did not find an Apple script to do that, but uh, but my guess is well maybe one of you finds it and we'll uh, we'll link to it and uh, and mention it in a future show. I, I do want to talk about our first sponsor here, which is AudioEngineUSA.com. The folks at Audio Engine have been making speakers for a while. And they, before they even started down this path of actually building the speakers, what they did is they thought, what is it that people are going to be listening to? And the answer is, well, for the most part, people are listening to MP3s, files that have been uh, compressed audio compression, right? Uh, and And there are some sound differences there. And with that, they designed these speakers to play MP3s uh, to the best quality that's possible. So they looked at kind of the overall EQ pattern of, of what happens with an MP3, and they tried to compensate for that. And the result is that any of their speakers really have a rich, full sound, especially when plugged into your computer playing music. You've heard us talk about the A2 speakers. Today, I want to talk about their big brother, the A5s. Uh, these are the speakers that I've got right here on my desk uh, where we podcast. These are what I would call bookshelf speakers. They are uh, certainly can fit on your desk. They're about uh, eight inches tall and uh, maybe, well, maybe almost a foot tall. Yeah, probably about eight inches tall, maybe five inches deep. Uh, two separate uh, enclosures. Each enclosure has two speakers in it, a tweeter and a woofer. They've got a bass port on the back. The left one has an amplifier in it. So you plug that into your computer and into a wall outlet for power. And then you run a cable over to the right speaker. You can split them apart to get a good stereo field. They've also got uh, uh, an audio in jack on the front, on the top, actually, so that you can plug your iPod in and... Uh, it's got a USB charging port on the top, so you can charge your iPod right there. Uh, the A5 speakers are available in black and white for $349 from AudioEngineUSA.com. And they come in a wood grain enclosure for another 100 bucks, $449. Everything from Audio Engine is uh, uh, available with their free audition, which means you can buy these things, check them out. If within 30 days you decide you don't like them, send them back. They'll give you all your money back. In addition, because you're a Mac Geek Gab listener, you have a special coupon you can use. So you can order these speakers and save 10% by using a coupon MGGTEN. That's MGG10 spelled out. Uh, and that'll give you 10% off. So 35 bucks off on the uh, black or white and 45 bucks off on the wood grain. All available at audioengineusa.com. And I got the A5s, and I got to say that they're the only speakers I dare turn up to 11, Dave. And they will go <laughs> to 11. Yeah, they do sound good. Well, they, do, well, they don't distort. You know, that's the thing yeah. that blew me away with these things. I turn them all the way up. Uh, yeah. They rock. That's good. Okay. That's good. Uh, let's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with the order here of our agenda, John. I think, I think Kent is uh. a good place to go next. So Kent is considering getting a time capsule. Uh, he's going to have another Mac in the house soon. 
And he says uh, he's got a couple of questions uh, as they relate to the time capsule. So we'll we'll answer them two in a row here. Uh, number one, when I've got a USB connected hard drive on to my Mac and I disconnect it without first ejecting it, Mac OS complains. If I'm using the time capsule for my time machine backup, does that drive show up on my desktop as a mounted drive? And if so, if I leave my wireless network without first ejecting said drive, i.e. put the machine to sleep and just leave with it, will I constantly have to dismiss these messages? Or does the OS know enough to recognize the difference? All right, that's first. That's question number one. So let's answer that and then we can answer question okay. number two. Yeah. You want to take this one, John, or should I? Well, I think the answer is that a uh, time machine and time capsule uh, take care of it. At least my recent experience uh, but with the caveat that you have to, at least once when you set up Time Machine and Time Capsule, you have to uh, make sure that drive is mounted. No, like that, with, that was, with Time Capsule, you don't have to mount the drive the first time. It'll it'll oh? find it. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So time, I'm sorry. So time, uh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking back to the yes. do-it-yourself thing I was doing with Airport ex, uh, Airport Extreme and an external drive. In that case, I right. yeah, of course, as you're saying, the drive is already part of the Time Capsule. So right. from what I've seen... As long as you're adhering to the, you know, their approved or even, you know, somewhat unapproved, it figures it out. It mounts the drive, it, it does the backup, and then it, it gets rid of it when it's done. And I, I've seen this, and actually a nice tool to see when this is happening, Dave, is our friend Hardware Growler, which I love oh so much because I see, it shows me when these, uh, you know, time machine uh, or time capsule events are occurring, and I just find it comforting to to have it, you know, tell me ahead of time, you know, sometimes it's a, well, it's usually not a surprise sometimes, but it'll say, Oh, I'm mounting, you know, in my case, time capsule. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's cool. And so anyways, that's my feedback. And, on and that. That, that's right. Okay. So to, to answer, to, and you're right. The time machine will mount and dismount the time capsule drive uh, as, as it should when, when it's starting and stopping backups. To answer Kent's question more directly, though, time capsule aside, the reason that you're getting that message when you yank a USB drive from your machine is because your Mac is managing that drive, right? Okay. And there might be some additional cache files to be written, or, or maybe there might be some other stuff going on that uh, has not yet finished on the drive. There might be temp files open. There might be some other things. And when you disconnect it that way, uh, you can cause damage, actually, to the disk, either typically not physical, you know, hardware damage, but the directory can wind up getting screwed up. If there's been a, if there's been a directory change or a table of contents change, and that has not yet been written to the drive, but is sitting in memory of the computer, i.e. the device managing the drive, then you have a problem because you've taken the manager away from, from the, from the drive, uh, pre prematurely or unexpectedly with network devices, your Mac is not managing that drive. Uh, whether it's mm -hmm. a time capsule, whether it's a shared drive on another Mac, you know, on a server, it doesn't matter. Your Mac's not managing the drive. So there is no cord to yank. There is there is no issue there. If you just if you know, if you've got the drive, any network drive mounted, you close the drive mm -hmm. and you go somewhere else and you open up your machine and now the drive's you know not accessible. It doesn't matter. Now, if you had files open on that drive, let's say you had a network uh -huh. share. You'll get a complaint the the OS will, when you try to access either read from or write to those files, the, the OS will say, well, well, wait a minute, I can't, you know, that, that path doesn't exist anymore. You're going to have to figure this out. And sometimes that can cause you problems, but it's not the same kind of problems that you'd have uh, just yanking a, uh, a USB drive. So, so the, the, in short, Kent, nothing to worry about. 
and and you got the geeky answer there. So, yeah, uh, in ge- you know what kind of bugs me that's still necessary, but I guess it still is. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, uh, I guess the only advice is that well, this is pretty much a given, but you know, a journaled file system will help guard against I think most nastiness. That's right. That's right. But then that's pretty much the default. If you're formatting a drive on your Mac, uh, and journal to me it implies that there's a history of, you know, what has happened to the drive. And yeah, if, if terrible things happen and you do, you know, either shut the machine off when you shouldn't or don't, you know, uh, properly eject a drive. You know, that's one area on, on all platforms, David, I think needs some uh, fixing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And and journaling, it, you're right. It it addresses that in in a way that still fits in in with the the manner in which we attach these drives. That's right. Uh, all right. So Kent's second question. He says, "I currently use a portable USB drive as my time machine drive. If I get the time capsule and set it up as the primary backup, can I still use the USB drive for time machine when I travel? In other words, can you have two time machine backup locations?" And have the OS recognize which one is currently attached. And the answer here, Kent, is mm. kind of sort of yes. You can have two backup destinations. However, you'll have to manually change between them uh, when you when you travel and when you come home. You'll have to go into system preferences, time machine, and uh, and set the backup destination. But it, at once you do that, it will resume where it left off because when a time machine backup starts, it looks at the destination for guidance as to what to back up next. So you're totally fine switching between multiple backup destinations. There's just no way with the, within the OS to automatically do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Where are we on time here? just trying to pace us. Yikes. I'm with you. I'm, I'm wrestling with time machine actually, uh, as of late. Um, yeah. I, I actually did one thing. I don't know if you've ever delved into this, Dave, uh, I believe it's MDUtil is the utility that handles uh, a lot of the uh, yep. time machine stuff. There is a compress, or, or uh, I believe it's compress. There is a compress operation. Maybe we should, uh, I'll hold off on that. Okay. I'm experimenting with ways because I had an unusually large backup when I switched to my new hard drive. Mm. I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of it. It's not as easy as I thought, no. but there is a way to take a sparse image and compress it. Now, you you actually want to use data, use data compression on it, or are you talking no, no, about clearing no. out unused space on it? No, what I'm talking about is, that, so typically a sparse image, which if you're doing a wireless backup, a sparse image typically does not shrink. It only grows. Right, right. I, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, there is a way with MDUtil, yes. which is the uh, utility, and, and I tried this, and I actually recovered... And apparently did not destroy anything, but I was I was starting to get annoyed because there's this 150 gigabyte block of data that doesn't need to be there, but it is. Okay. And I wanted to try to figure out how to get rid of it. And it's not as easy as just deleting that specific backup using something like Time Tracker or something like that. But there is a way. Um, MDUtil offers away and, and again i believe it's a compress where you can point to a sparse image or a, a sparse bundle and say you know what if there's anything inside of you that's wasteful ditch it and i actually ran this and i recovered i think about 10 gigabytes huh and then it went through and went through the bands or, or whatever it does and it basically said you know what i don't need this so, so it wasn't the uh, reduction i expected which was 150 gigs i'm still trying to figure out how to get that back um, and actually, Katie 
he ran into this as well. Uh, our, okay, our so you, to, I'm gonna I'm gonna clear up some of your terminology. MDUtil is the spotlight utility. Uh, I'm sorry. So you're talking about HDI util, which is the the disk image utility, hard drive image utility. You're correct. And I think you're talking about compact, not compress, right? Is that is that yep. the command Here you're we talking go. about? Right. Okay, no, I'm looking right now. All, All right. right, HDI util. Yep. Compact, and then okay. you point to a uh, 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 a file. Yep. And if it can, and you know, it sits there, and you know, it chugs for a while, but it actually uh, said at the end of it, it's like, oh, okay, ten gigs. Cool. You got it back, which it reduced it, and I, I see this in the uh, in the time machine. Um, yeah, it does it before a backup usually, or or maybe sometimes after. But yeah, you're right. You see it in the logs. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm still pursuing that. All right, Anyways, cool. Well, moving let us, on. Let us know what you find. Yeah, that's good. That's yep. good. Um, all right. A, uh, a a bit of correction on something we talked about recently. I talked about a uh, and 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 this will be posted as one of our new MGG Answers articles. I didn't have time to get it up before we uh, recorded the show here today, but it will be up in the next next couple of days. Um, we talked about viewing if you want to stream your movies or music from your Mac to your iPad or iPhone, you can do that using the web server built in to your Mac. The trick is uh, you need to tell your Mac to look at those files and, and uh, make, make a way for your, the web server to see those. And typically when you start up the web server, uh, it puts your, um, your, your home directory slash sites is the place where you have all that stuff linked. So it would be, you know, whatever your machine's IP address is slash your short username slash, and then whatever you want and off it goes. And it usually works just fine. And what we talked about doing was putting an alias from your iTunes music folder into your sites folder. That doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because Apache is, which is the web engine under the hood, doesn't know how to follow aliases. What it does know how to follow are symbolic links. Uh, unfortunately, creating symbolic links. They're very similar to aliases. In fact, hmm. uh, many What's of the, the difference, Dave, I, I, the alias is a pointer that only OS 10 sees, whereas a symbolic link is something that OS 10 and the Unix underpinnings will see. Okay, so the alias is sort of a, a bogus pointer, if you will. It's it's a it's not a real pointer. Uh, it is for most things, but if you really want things to point, you've got to use a symbolic link. I thought they were the same. Uh, clearly, I was wrong. So you have to go and create a symbolic link, which. Uh, there's an Apple script that you can use to do it, and we'll point to the link for that. Uh, and then there's also uh, a command line, and it's it's a very, very straightforward command line. It's one line, but you've got to type a lot in it. It's LN is the command to make a link, and then a space, and then dash S to make it symbolic, as opposed to a hard link, and you don't want to create a hard link here. So LN space dash S, and then space. And then you put the full path to the... Uh, original folder and then a space and then in the full path to the link you want. So what I recommend doing is get to your in the terminal, get to your sites folder and then do LN space dash S space and then 
you know, type the path to your iTunes library, which is usually, you know, home slash music slash iTunes slash iTunes music slash whatever you want. And you can just leave it there and navigate in the web uh, and then a space and then, you know, maybe put music. Uh, if you wanted to make one to your movies folder, you could do the same thing and name it movies. And then that way, when you visit it in your web browser uh, on your Mac or on, of course, your iPad or iPhone, uh, you'll get to see this. So but it has to be a symbolic link. And uh, and we'll put an MGG Answers article up. You'll see those whenever we do an MGG Answers article, by the way. Uh, it's usually stuff that's come from the show. And if it was discussed in a specific show, we'll link to the show from that article. And then automatically the show links to the article as well. So when you go to the show notes for this show, that MGG Answers article will be uh, cross-linked there. So you should be able to find huh. it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's talk about our second sponsor for this show, John. And uh, and that is GoToAssist. Um, you've heard us talk about this quite a bit. It's a it's a pretty cool product. What GoToAssist allows you to do is gain remote control over someone else's computer, uh, of course, with their permission. And the way that it works is you go to your web browser, log into your GoToAssist account and create a new session and you'll get a link. And this link is unique to that session. You then give that link, either email, IM, or you can even read over the phone. Uh, you send this link to the person whose computer you want to control. They visit that link in their web browser. Uh, there's no account to set up for them. There's nothing for them to do other than visit this link and say, yes, I want to let Dave control my computer. Once they do that, uh, you'll sit there, you'll wait for them to do it. And then suddenly right there in your web browser, it actually opens a, a little applet and boom, you're able to see their computer. You can use the mouse. You can use the keyboard. They can see what you're doing. You can see what they're doing. It's fully interactive. Uh, and the person on the other end has the ability to stop the connection at any point in time. If, uh, if for whatever reason they're uncomfortable with things moving forward. So uh, John and I tried it. It worked flawlessly. We're both behind routers and firewalls and all that stuff. And because this is a user uh, initiated session on both sides, there was no issue with traversing the firewall or port forwarding or any of that mess. Uh, and it just worked. It was it was seamless. We you know, we tried it and it just worked the first time. It's it's called go to assist express. It's from Citrix. And you can get a one month free trial because you're a Geek Cab listener by going to go to assist.com slash gab. That's G A B. So go to assist.com slash gab for your month long free trial of go to assist express. Go ahead and check it out. Love it. You know, Dave, uh, can we do Rick? Yeah, sure. Rick is just, oh man, it's just a multifaceted question here. So, so, uh, no, really, I'm yeah. serious. I, I think it's a great question. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, Rick writes, I recently replaced my original MacBook Air with a new MacBook Pro 13 inch. I'd like to lend the air to my girlfriend for her to use while at home to browse the web, read email, etc. I've set up a managed account for her with some parental controls limiting her to the apps she will need. I did not delete my own user account. The air is running the latest version of Snow Leopard and each user account is password protected. My assumption that was by setting up a separate user account for her use, she would not be able to access any of my files in my user account. As it turns out, I was wrong. Files in my home folder seem to be accessible to her. When she signed into her own user account and does a spotlight search for a document that I know is in my user account home folder, that file appears and is accessible via Quick Look. Does Spotlight search system-wide regardless of user account? Short of disabling Spotlight altogether or removing my home folder, 
Is there a way to prevent her from inadvertently accessing any of my files while doing her own spotlight searches? All right. So, John, you'd take it. We, 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 uh, we, we work together on this one. But we, uh, we we both, you and I both dug into this. So we're going to dig into this. So um, there is a moral the, to this. And, and we're going to get you. We'll get you to the moral. The moral is about well, a, a one sentence moral that, that, that's important. But but we'll get you there the long <laughs> way. Trust us. This is this is how we roll. So, so the, the, to me, the answer to this question, so, so one, if he's asking, should this have happened, the answer is yes. And here is why this should have happened. So I did a bit of digging here, and I normally I, I only have an admin account set up on my machines, but I decided, let me set up a, what's known as a standard account or even a managed account. And I set up a standard account, and here's the gotcha with a standard account. Even if you're an admin a standard or, or well, I'm going to continue here. So I was on a machine. I had my account and I created a standard account. When I logged into the standard account, I'm like, you know what? Let me go to the user's directory on my hard drive. And then let me go to the directory of the admin, which is John Braun. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can get into that directory. Now, number one, to me, that that is something that I think is somewhat unexpected, Dave. I and agree. As a standard user, I can get into parts of, and now here's the key word, parts of the user directory of the administrator. Now, to me, if, if you're talking security guy, to me, that is bad. That's really bad. Yeah. In, in that, why are they even allowing this? Here's the good news, though. And here was the advice that I uh, that, that I provided to Rick was that here's what I noticed when I looked deeper is that although the home directory of the administrator is and if you dig into the uh, Unix permissions, you know, you right click on the admin directory and you look and in permissions, the thing is everyone uh, and I think it's the group everyone has read only access. But here's the key and here's the hint that I gave to him. And I think he, he agreed that this is the, the way to go about it is that there are select directories within my administrator. Uh, not that it matters, but in my my home folder that are marked everybody no access. And here are the directories desktop documents, downloads, library, movies, music and pictures. Now, the thing is, initially, when I tried this, and in uh, fact, the of the of all the default directories that are created in any user account, be they an admin right. or not, the only two that are not uh, restricted from being read are public and Good. sites. Good, which yeah. which kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, so to me, the thing is, I never ran across this issue because, uh, you know, so I, lo I created a standard account. I logged into it. I then searched for documents that I knew were in my home folder somewhere. And this is the key, Dave. Like I, I went searching for my tax return, which, you know, sure. I, I do in PDF and has my financial details. And I would agree is probably something, you know, I don't want to share with the world. And I couldn't find it. I'm Good. like, well, that's weird. Why couldn't I find that? And he's running into the situation where he, his, his girlfriend, and again, we'll get to the second question, <laughs> which I find more entertaining and interesting. But, but then I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm like, well, let me try this. And I took one of the documents from my documents folder. Here's the key, folks. I put my tax return and all the documents in my documents folder. Wait. I copied that folder out of my documents folder into my home directory. Right. 
Then I logged into the standard account. And apparently in the meantime, Spotlight said, hey, oh, look, new stuff. Let me index that. And when I went to my standard account and said, look for 1040A, uh, it was like, up oh, here you go. You can open it. You can look at it. And it's like, well, that's because it's in a directory that's marked as everybody read only. So, so from what I can tell, Spotlight will honor to a certain extent. Well, it, it honors the security settings on the directory. Right. If the directory is read only everybody, which your home directory is. Now, the, this is another maybe tangent, Dave. Why is my home directory read only to everybody? And, well, presumably because you, you want your public folder to be read only to be readable by everyone. And in order for that, in order for them to get to your public folder, they have to be able okay. to navigate through your user folder. Okay, but you see where I'm going here is yeah. that it seems that the, the settings here, and I would agree, I, I think with Rick, is that this was unexpected behavior on the part of the OS in marking the home folder. Now, again, you know, to, to finger wag at Rick, he was not being very diligent or, or not as anal as me as far as storing stuff. For me, anything that's a document, I store in my documents folder, which is fortunately one of the folders that is marked as no access by the group everybody. Right. Yeah. Now he in his follow up in his reply, Rick said, yeah, this makes sense now because I've created other folders in my home folder to further uh, not within his documents folder, but right at the root level. He's created a couple other folders and he categorizes things that way. And it was items. Sure enough, in those new folders that he created so that the lesson here is if you're going to create new folders at the root level of your home, uh, you know, in your home directory, you need to. Uh, you need to be aware that by default, they're not protected. Now, as John pointed out, you can easily protect them by going to your folder, uh, do a um, finder, you know, file, get info once you've highlighted the folder. And then at the bottom of that get info window is a sharing and permissions section. Uh, if it's not twisted open, you can twist it open. And there you should see where it says everyone read only. What you want to do is you want to change everyone to no access. Uh, and then you want to, uh, using the little widget uh, at the very bottom of the screen, click apply to enclosed items. And this way, all those permissions changes will, will filter and through everything that's in there. And then spotlight's golden. Then you're fine. Well, yeah. Dave, I'm going to finger rag you. In public here, okay. in front of her. Good. <laughs> I'm going to yes. say, just put it in your documents folder. Well, but here's the Which thing. Sometimes I that's followed, not, uh, okay, not going to okay. happen because okay, one of sure. the folders that's created, uh, you know, we talk a lot about it here on the show, is a piece of software called Dropbox. And Dropbox creates a folder in your home directory. Now, you can redefine where that is, but I don't recommend doing that. I recommend if you're going to store stuff in the Dropbox folder, it's easier to manage just by having it there. So Dropbox, because it's a new folder created there, has these everyone read, uh, you know, read only permissions. And you may want to change that. And you can. It's very easy. You just go in and you highlight the folders I just explained. Uh, so so there there may be reasons where you you want to have uh, additional folders out here and and that and and that's how you protect them. But but you're right. If you store everything in your documents folder and you haven't changed your default permissions, then then you're totally or fine. downloads or uh, yeah, because I understand why they protect those. Now, now, the thing that occurs to me, 
Yeah, I guess I'm just, uh, I'm now the one solution is, well, I'll just take my home folder and make the whole thing. Everybody no access. That might work. I'm, I'm hesitant and maybe you are too, Dave, but, but I am, I am hesitant to change the default settings of the Mac OS. I, I got to imagine, and maybe there's a bad reason, maybe there's a good reason, but and actually maybe this is a mini Turbo Geek challenge. I'm going to call it that now. <laughs> Why does Apple, when they create these new accounts, especially, well, one, an admin account, but number two, uh, what we call a, a, a user account or a personal account, why does it set the permissions to allow everyone read only? To me, that seems, you know, especially with the ability of, of uh, Unix to fine grain the access to, to, you know, individual group and everybody, why are they even allowing this? And and I think Rick, uh, you know, fell, you know, he, he came across a situation where, you know, you got to question the logic behind why are you even letting people in my user folder? To me, it seems kind of, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Right. I don't know why, but but that's that's how it's set up. And, and my, my choice is not to affect that, but to go with the guidelines that Apple has set up. So quick solution, put it in one of those folders. Spotlight will not see it. Uh, but then, Dave, I think we had a uh, secondary. I don't know if you want to. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm gonna. We'll, we'll leave the uh, the, okay. the home management, uh, the, the social management of the home for uh, for perhaps uh, okay. another podcast. I, we we've got uh, we've got plenty of stuff to go through here, so we'll just we'll leave it at that. We have we before we uh, we, we are getting long in the tooth at this one here. Oh, we but, are. Yeah, but we we have two possible geek challenge uh, Ooh, participants yes. here. Now, I think. During our pre-show, I think we might have solved a couple of these, but uh, but let's talk about these because there's some cool stuff here. Uh, so starting with Melvin, he has two questions. He says, I'm using a 24-inch iMac running Snow Leopard, and occasionally I like to use the dual screen feature to play movies on my TV screen. I run a VGA cable from my computer to the TV. Unfortunately, the only way I know how to disable and enable the dual screen mode is to plug in and out the DVI cable. I was wondering if there's a software fix for this. I'd searched around and there doesn't seem to be a good workaround. One suggestion was to have it mirror the screen instead and switch off the second screen. But does this still tax the GPU with two monitors? All right. So I'm going to answer this question quick. And then, John, I think you've got the real answer. Uh, I think so. Mirroring would work. And I don't believe mirroring is going to cause any real grief with your GPU. So, so yes, I, I think that would be one answer. And then that way you're not losing your mouse and having it float off to a screen that you can't see. So mir- mirroring is answer number one. But it, it does force you to have the same resolution on both. So if your built-in monitor is, you know, 1280 by 960 and the TV is 1024 by 768, well, you're not going to be happy when your internal screen changes to 1024 by 768. So uh, mm-hmm. so you may want John's solution. And here's what I found. And, you know, I, I think I've used this, Dave, in the past where um, I remember in the past there were situations where the control panel or system preference or whatever in Mac OS 10 or system nine or whatever would not reflect all of the capabilities of the monitor. And this is something that, that I've used over the years. I haven't used it recently, but I think once you and I, Dave looked at this, I think this will solve the problem. It's something called switch res 10, oddly enough, version four. <clears throat> and it's at a, uh, www.madrau.com. 
Uh, we will link to it, of course. But but I think uh, once I presented this as an option, Dave, you actually dug into and found that they actually do have a feature that apparently gives you fine control over exactly what the heck your screens are doing, including mirroring or selection or things like that. So the thing is, from what I've seen, you can get it, you can download it, you can try it at Shareware if you like it, you know, throw them a few bucks. Yep. So SwitchRes 10 version four, complete control over your monitor. And I would, I would say, I agree with that. They also, now you gotta be careful because they do let you get into a geeky area of, uh, you know, talking to your monitor, which I, I, I don't think it's as bad as the old days, Dave, where you could actually blow up your monitor. No, I think they've uh, got circuits in them that just basically turn them black. They basically say, I can't sync with that frequency, but right. what are you nuts? Right. But, but it's a very nice utility that I think will, will give you a, as much control over a monitor as you can, uh, under OS 10. So yeah, I think that, I think that, I think that's right. Uh, all right. Now he had a second part to his question here where Melvin says, ah. uh, along the same direction, is there a way to switch from headphones to internal speaker without having to mm. plug to take the headphones out? I think I remember you guys talking about this a few months or weeks back. The consensus was that the switching when a plug was put in was a software switch. However, there doesn't seem to be a viable software solution out there. Also, once the headphones are plugged in, you cannot choose internal speakers in the preferences. I've tried sound, I've tried sound source, but that didn't work either. Uh, and Melvin, you're right. Uh, it is a software switch. And there did used to be a, a way uh, you could go in. Both headphones and internal speakers would be listed simultaneously in the uh, in the sound uh, system preference pane. And it would auto select based on whether or not you had headphones plugged in like it does now. But that didn't stop you from also using the other output. And that was really handy. I liked it because I could leave things plugged in, but I could also have, uh, you know, I could have alert sounds come out through my MacBook speakers, but I could have music coming out through, you know, the speakers plugged into the headphone jack. So, uh, so no, there is no way, uh, but it, despite the fact that it's a software switch, it appears the OS uh, only shows you one at a time. So that's, uh, uh, it's unfortunate, but we'll throw it out there as a geek challenge. If somebody's figured out or found a way to uh, to use both, that'd be awesome. Hmm. All right. Uh, One and more. Finally, yeah, we'll do we'll uh, we'll do Grant here. This is this is interesting. Hi, Dave and John. I have my two boys, four and two, play on my Mac every so often. They watch movies and play on certain websites. I do not have an account for setup. I do not have a separate account set up for them quite yet. My problem is sometimes they start clicking and they change the names of my disks that are attached. Do you know of any programs or settings that I can set so this won't happen? Will a separate user account do this? Even the wife will sometimes click and start renaming a disk. I've taught her how to rename it back. Any type of help would be appreciated. And I am running Mac OS 10 10.5, which he says the latest. So I'm not sure if that's a typo or if he's running 10.5 or he's running 10.6. But the answer is the same regardless. Uh, and that answer is a separate user account. So yes, it, it's, uh, I was uh, going to say, Dave, the answer is who wears the pants. The <laughs> well, we, we already know that by his question here, right? <laughs> uh, well, no, but I'm saying it's, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but, but no, after you and I chatted, because actually when you and I chatted, the thing is, I recall, I believe it was in, our pal OS nine, I believe they had a lock option that would actually lock a drive and make it so you couldn't inadvertently change the name of it. That's right. 
That's that right. is gone because I could not find that in OS 10. So yes, if if somebody errantly you know selects a disk and starts typing, yeah, they could rename it. So, but, but I'm still hinting that it's you know part part family management. That's right. Yeah. Well, with the kids, kids who are four and two though, that's uh, you know that's just not going to work. So uh, the- well, they should get their own computer or at least, and as you're suggesting, their own account because right. yeah. And Grant, yes, a separate account as long as it's not an administrator account. <laughs> cannot cannot change the name of the disk. Uh, if you try to change the user account when logged in as a non-admin or standard user, uh, it will ask you for the admin for an administrator username and password in order to enact that change. And obviously, mm-hmm. unless your kids uh, either get very lucky with their random keystrokes or know your username and password, then uh, then no, they won't be able right, to change right. that. So yeah, that's that's your uh, that's your magic answer there, Grant. All right. Uh, we've gone through all these questions and uh, shared some tips here. But uh, the one thing we haven't yet done, John, is told all of you how to contact the two of us. And the way you do that is, first and foremost, you can pick up the phone and call 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... You know, I've four, three, yeah, after, after all four, these years. three, three, five. But Dave, you can not only call us, and, and when you call us, you can, you know, you can call us with, a, well, pretty much a voice question. You can, um, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, but, but you can also, Dave, you can email us. And, and where would you email us, Dave? Well, I'm going to tell you, Dave, you can email us at Mac feedback at macgeekab.com is that feedback at macgeekab.com john well, no, can, I a, think can I, either one of us say it without stumbling over it somewhere uh, you know, we've been it. going a long time here but anyways it's <laughs> feedback at macgeekab.com there it is and that you can send emails you can send emails with audio attachments um and if you're you if you're a do. premium subscriber, send to premium at macgeekgab.com, and that way we know which show we can uh, we can put it in. And of course, there's also Skype, though we That's do right. not prefer that because the audio quality is lacking typically. But hey, you can Skype yeah. to if, Mac Geek Gab. It's a shame too because when you do Skype to Skype, the audio quality is great, uh, and Skype's voicemail audio quality is great. But what we do is we link that Skype voicemail to our two hundred six 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 geek number so that we can get it in our email box because Skype voicemail mm. will not auto appear in our email box, so we never know when you've sent it to us. So, uh, so that's why the quality is that way. So Where's the band? The band's coming in a minute. I was here. waiting for the band. Oh, okay. you know, well, we gotta, you know, I wanted to get through the contact info, and then you know, I got the little fader here. Oh, Bring the band right in. I always expect the band. Michael Johnston from the This Week in iPhone podcast converts this to AAC for your interactive pleasure. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth. And we really appreciate that. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 bookshelf speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo, and the new Bear, uh, BB Edit 8.5 from Barebone Software. PDF Pen, Text Expander, Text Expander Touch, and more from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Free trial at gotoassist.com slash gab. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. That's it. We're out of here. Thanks uh, so much for uh, for listening. Thanks so much for staying subscribed. And thanks so much for submitting all your questions. It's, uh, it's what makes this show what it is. More. Give me more. It's getting to be a lot, man. It was a multi-hour yeah. affair today. It was good, though. It's always a good yeah. tour. I like it. 
it, it, it makes me realize, Dave, we're not the only ones that have problems. That's right. We will be back for you premium folks. We will be back with one more show this week, making it a three podcast week. Uh, for the rest of you, we'll be back on Monday. Until then, don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.